0: Faithinkids.org and find out all the details about growing up.
1: Hello, Happy New Year. This is the Faith in Parents Podcast. I'm Ed. And I'm Jam.
0: And I'm Amy. Hello. Do we say Happy New Year now?
1: We absolutely do, because it's the first time we have met in with the new our year. listeners in the New Year. Oh, That's right. okay. And can I big shout out to Chris Howells in Uganda, who says that in Uganda, his record is hearing someone say Happy New Year in August. Wow. wow. So their principle is very simple. I can say Happy New Year if it's the first time I've seen you this year. Wow! Wow! So we're look, we're still in January, early days. In your face, yeah.
2: Although there has been a bit of a yawning gap since our last podcast, it's all intentional. Don't worry, we've just been having a bit of a a bit of a rest.
0: Turkey's been going down,
2: absolutely, and we've
0: building suspense. We what, was the,
2: what was the longest Christmas food? Were you eating until latest into January? Like
0: I've still got Christmas puddings. Oh still wow! To eat.
1: Okay, that's good though. I
2: love we
0: overcated.
1: <laughs> we have brandy butter in the fridge. Okay, <laughs> nice. Yeah, I was given mince pies just this week. Oh wow, that's great! Still in date. I also want to say the three of us are sitting in a room together because we've just had a day planning the world of Faith in Parents podcasts. I wouldn't go that far.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Look, it's treat after treat after treat. So enough of this uh, post-Christmas New Year chat. We have an episode coming up for you, which is uh, with Duncan Forbes. Dr. Duncan Forbes. Dr. Duncan Forbes. Yes.
1: Yes. Who Uh, is he? He is a pastor on the Roehampton Estate, which is near where I live in southwest London. Uh, I think it's exceptional. And I have to say... As a sort of white middle class man who was posh and went to all sorts of the right places, I, I already feel nervous discussing this. Okay, so I just want to put that out there. Yeah, uh, Duncan is a thoroughly wonderful, godly man who has grown up on the Roehampton estate. He has a passion to reach that estate. He also has a passion for us to be reaching the estates of the UK. He runs Urban Ministries, which is trying to help people do this. He has a PhD. He is very bright. Yeah.
2: I'm
0: in.
1: Great. Here we go. I am delighted to have with me Duncan Forbes. Duncan, will you just introduce yourself a bit? Tell us who you are and what you'd love to talk about today.
3: So uh, I'm a dad of four kids. Um, uh, My wife is Shay, and we live on a a big council estate in South West London. It's a council estate I was born and raised on. And... um, I'm I'm excited to be here, but I'm also not too sure how much you're going to get out of me uh, <laughs> in terms of asking about um, parenting and stuff. Um.
1: And, I, and I think probably I can be honest and say I'm a bit nervous too, <laughs> in that in the, my fear is that as we talk about urban parenting, estate parenting, it, it can feel a bit like this is the posh boy sort of standing by a cage <laughs> saying, what's it like in there?
2: Right, right. Uh,
1: so I think what we're both keen to do is... Um, we both come from a culture,
3: mm-hmm. and
1: we would love just to compare notes yeah. on what it's like being a parent. Particularly, what is it to be a godly parent,
3: mm-hmm.
1: rather than just a parent who is of our culture?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So, uh, perhaps a good place to start is, um, maybe as you've grown up on a estate, could, could you just tell us, as a Christian parent living on an estate, Duncan, what, what would be some of the advantages what would be some of the joys and the benefits as as you raise your family here?
3: So I think, um, well, I guess one of them, if I, uh, there's so many. I guess one is knowing that your kids are growing up with a diverse bunch of friends, right? So my kids are growing up meeting people from all different kinds of ethnicities, but also all different kinds of classes. So... My kids are grown up thinking it's normal to have a friend who's homeless, a friend who's posh, friends from different ethnic backgrounds, and that's just like normal for them. Uh, So I think think that's really important when you think in terms of if Jesus' plan is to bring people together from all these different tribes, tongues and nations, then part of our parenting should be equipping our children for that mission and so on a council estate you've got all kinds of people so so that's a blessing another blessing is right to go on to the next one yeah absolutely okay so another blessing would be um difficulties of life are really apparent in a state life now the thing is life is difficult everywhere right um but in council state culture, it's okay to be really open about the difficulties and to lay them out for people to see. So it means that your kids can grow up seeing the difficulties in life and then seeing, okay, how does the gospel speak to these difficulties? What do mum and dad do yeah. with these difficulties? You know, when, when like uh, my kid's trampoline got stolen a few weeks ago, you know, my kids are watching me to see what does dad do. So it was a great opportunity to show them faith in action when you've just been robbed. Um and then we got friends who go through difficulties and your kids then get to see how you approach that. Um I got another one, but I don't know if you want to come back with something else first because it starts it it it's a it's Something that's really good about estate life, but it also might seem like a little bit of a critique of middle class culture.
1: We, we, uh, this podcast, I expect, will come across this a lot. So I, let me just help, help. Uh, yeah. The thing you've just said about that openness to problems, I think, uh, as I'm sitting there thinking, and, and we're, just, we're gonna have to come, we're gonna have to use some terminology. So I'll say, look, if I'm from a more middle class white culture, Uh, we perhaps have a problem that in our churches we find it difficult to talk about our weaknesses and our brokenness. And so therefore our kids, and even as parents, we think this is a unique problem to our household. We are the only ones who cry about this. We are the only ones who argue about this. We are the only ones who shout. So I I, I think with all of what we say, there is a chance that we're thinking, oh, right, that, you know, that sounds, you know, that, how's that an advantage Mm-hmm. You know how do, how do you get anything done if you're just constantly seeing brokenness in your own church and so I I just want to kind of say we're going to we're going to have to just say in this podcast we're just going to have a conversation about the differences and accept that that can sound like a critique of the other but the joy of a christian podcast hopefully is we know we're saying it in love and we're going to tread carefully while also trying to be honest mm-hmm. so off you go duncan
3: okay. don't hold back okay so so a thing happened years ago where our flat got flooded, but it didn't just get flooded, it got flooded with sewage, okay, right, and the council were not helpful at all, it was, it was the council sewage pipe that flooded our place, and we basically ended up having to abandon our home, okay, and... uh and we 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 went to live somewhere else, which was a middle-class Christian community. And it was wonderful. And there were many blessings from that. Um, but one day, we're at the playground, right? And bear in mind, we haven't been on our estate for a few weeks. I mean, we went back to visit every Sunday for church. But apart from that, we hadn't been around a lot of council estate culture. And I'm watching my kids play with the middle-class children, and I'm being bothered by something. And what I was bothered by was what I perceived as as entitlement. I felt that some of the kids, the way they were playing and behaving, had a real sense of entitlement. Mm. Um, Now, I'm used to hearing critiques of council estate culture where people would say, oh, you guys have lots of victim mentality. And that is true. That's something we have to deal with is our victim mentality. But but entitlement and victim mentality have a lot of similarities. They just played out differently. And I was seeing people who had the appearance of thinking... That they were privileged and were entitled to being treated a certain way, and I was watching the interactions with the mums and the boys when the mums were trying to stop the boys being naughty, and I was watching the way they were trying to negotiate with them, and I was I felt really uncomfortable. I felt like these boys have got the upper hand here, like over the mum, you over mean? the mum, okay. yeah. And as a working class parent, it felt odd, yeah, and, and it, uh, everything was a
1: negotiation. Why isn't Mum just able to say stop that? Right, don't do that.
3: Right, especially because okay. I was feeling like this boy's—he's—he's he's being out of order here. Like okay. you need to nip this in the bud now. Okay, because when he's like, you know, these boys are captains of industry in the future and politicians. Like we're gonna have some real problems here, you know, and and but the thing is, this was just like going on in my brain. It wasn't like I was huffing and puffing yeah. about it. Yeah, it's just going on in my brain, and then because that's just me. I'm always analysing culture wherever I am. So it wasn't a big deal. But then a friend of mine turned to me and said, it must be really nice for you, Duncan, being here where your children can play with people who all share the same values. (laughs) And, you know, he's a lovely brother. I didn't say anything in response. I just, I, I don't know what I said, but I didn't agree, okay. but I also wasn't like rude to him. Okay. But I remember thinking, no, I feel really uncomfortable here. I feel like these kids don't share the same values I'm trying to raise my kids with. And then we got to move back to our flats. We got our flat redone. The council finally fixed this sewage pipe, and we, you know, got all the sewage out of our flat. We go back home, and then I take one of my kids to the local um, play centre. And a boy comes up to my daughter and he says, "He says, look, look out, see them boys over there? They're a bit bad, but if you stick with me, I'll take care of you. And I was like, I'm back. I'm back in council estate culture. Yeah, this is what I like. And I preferred that, yeah. that looking out for one another yeah. to what I witnessed in the Christian middle-class community where I felt like there was too much entitlement, selfishness and one-upmanship. Yeah. And so, but that's only when you ask me, what are some of the joys of raising your kids on an estate? Now, there'd be other areas where I'd be like, oh, it'd be nice if I was raising my kids in that Christian middle-class community, because they had a lot of other good things that were really good. I hear that, Duncan. But, but that was just to give one that. example.
1: And maybe if we just if we just work through that a little, that means in the local church, perhaps uh that there is a there is a more natural sense of we are a family that that you could argue that comes more naturally on an estate we belong yeah. to each other we care for each other that sense of tighter family unit that might come more naturally on an estate
3: yeah yeah because definitely because
1: that that fight for my corner my rights my entitlement is less in evidence there
3: yeah cuz i think I mean, even though it's worked out in a bad way, you do see that with the post-Code Wars. You see that where people identify with this is their neighbourhood. Okay. They're going to protect their neighbourhood from others. If okay. they see someone stray into their area, they're going to do something about it. Now, that's when it's worked out in a really bad way. Okay. But if you look back at one of the core reasons for that, which one of the reasons, there's many, but one of them is the idea of when you grow up on an estate, you see that local area as your family. And you literally grow up, spend a lot of time around one another's houses, and your friends' mums are like your aunties. And so there is a sense of sort of kinship, I guess. And it, that
1: ethnic diversity, cultural diversity, mm-hmm. and, uh, it, and it, you were, just before we started recording, you were saying, for instance, you might get a Nigerian doctor on the site. Uh-huh. Oh, sorry, on the estate. So uh-huh. all that, all, all I mean is, in Nigeria, where he might have been middle class, educated to a very high level, he finds himself on an estate in the UK, and so there is that broader range. Yeah, and you also highlighted that that, to some degree, is a foreshadowing of the new creation. Mm. Does that also bring about challenges as a parent, or is that is that in that particular case it's okay? To say no, no, <laughs> it's only good.
3: I, yeah, I, I haven't noticed challenges. And it's, it's interesting, actually, that you mention that because sometimes I see in Christian media um, a lot of fear about the number of Muslims living in this country. Now, one of my daughter's best friends is a, is, a, is a Muslim. And on this estate, the Muslims are some of the people that, as a family, we have the most in common. In terms of our values, yeah. Um, in terms of our doctrine of creation, um, a doctrine of God is different, but it's also got a lot of similarities compared to yeah. to other people. And I have deep conversations with my Muslim neighbours about stuff to do with life and about God's providence. And again, there's 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 a slight difference between fatalism and in Islam and providence and Christianity, but we have a lot of Common groundness. So I actually find that some of the things that sometimes in the media is portrayed as a problem isn't isn't actually a problem.
1: Thank you. Uh, I heard you speak on these uh, issues. A, a excellent seminar you ran, and and part of the reason for this podcast is you just gave me an aside there. You just said uh, you you think the gospel has a huge has a lot to say to parenting and you you particularly highlighted that and i I feel this too that uh, a lot of middle class values for whatever reason uh, we believe our Christian values mm. and you were just highlighting that w- when in a church we are blessed to have that meeting of cultures we just need to be careful that we don't impose our cultural values into them, yeah. and the example I was, I was speaking to amy who 's been on this podcast a few times, and she was saying that certainly what she has learnt is uh, she laughs with her friend that her friend a good time is not having a meal and a deep conversation afterwards, and she gave the example of karaoke for her mm-hmm. mate might be great. And Amy was joking, she genuinely believes a long meal, a long conversation and a game of, you know, some sort of quiz board game. Mm-hmm. And, and just her trying to think through, I'm not trying to make her more like me as I disciple her. Now, that's not a parenting example. But y- you, you would say, would you, that there's, there are some examples like that where you feel like we are encouraging Christian parents to be middle class rather than to be truly Christian.
3: Yeah. Could you give me some examples of what you think of? I think, I think one would be, and it's probably been changing over time, probably guys like yourself are helping change this, um, a middle-class value is to be independent, okay? And in general, people who, and you even find Christian books that have been really popular that talk about this, find their self-starters, the independent types, and promote them to leadership. So we've ended up with generations of leaders who come across as independent people. And then your single mum who turns up at church Mm. and as the church get to know her, find out she's got some needs, is sometimes perceived as needy, quote unquote, and then perceived as not a very strong Christian and definitely not someone we would want leading various ministries, children's ministries and what have you but in the bible we don't see independence as as a biblical value uh i mean not not at all we see the value of strength in weakness and and we see boasting in weakness rather than boasting in independence and we see interdependence working as a body of christ everyone needing each other so i think that that's one way and i think when it comes to parenting i think I think that some parents feel... Well, let's face it. I think a lot of parents feel inadequate as parents. I know I know. I do. <laughs> that's universal.
1: Right? We can take that right. as a given.
3: Yeah. And I think that sometimes for Christians, there's this idea that, oh no, if you're, if you're going to be a godly parent, then you've got to be one of those people that's really capable as yeah. a parent and you can handle it and you can manage it well. Um. And and there's even sometimes a bit of a culture where if you share with someone about how you're struggling as a parent, people can then be quite judgmental and not very understanding and basically telling you, pull yourself up from your bootstraps, which, again, is, is a, a bit of a middle-class um, value, although it's a middle-class value that gets put down on the lower classes because middle-class culture doesn't always remember that uh, their bootstraps were given to them by the generation before them and that they were trained in how to pull up those bootstraps. There's some people at the bottom of the pile who are like, look, mate, I ain't even got any bootstraps, so how do I pull them up? And so I think we, we've we got a culture that, like I say, I do see it changing, so it's encouraging for me how it's changing, But but I feel like we need more of this openness as parents to say look we're really needy we're not independent and that's that's the other thing is it was like we're very independent as parents because if someone speaks to us about our parenting style we get quite offended you know I mean that's one of the sacred cows I I know people
1: who have left churches based on what someone has said about their child in creche and they didn't even they didn't even mean it as a um, you know, as a a, a corrective, right. a rebuke. It really was simply, this is what I've noticed your child is like. Mm-hmm. And so, I uh,
3: absolutely. So to me, that shows that we don't really get that it takes a village to raise a child. We think it takes two parents to raise a child. Mm. In the Bible, we see parents living with grandparents in the home you have, like, you can have four generations living under the same roof. And the community coming alongside one another. The Bible's got all this one anothering language about helping one another. And so so it it was seemed to me that that's one of the areas where we need to grow. And perhaps
1: we stress at the point of conversion, it's about understanding our weakness. But but the point you're gently making is in our discipleship we can give the impression that as we grow as Christians, we become more independent. Yeah. And as parents, we can raise. Yeah. Very, are we raising our children to know that we are that ultimate maturity is dependence on Christ and one another? Yeah. Not, not ever greater independence.
3: Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a that's a great point. So I think we should be thinking as parents: the more mature we are, yeah, the more needy we become because right. it's like. You know, the old dimmer switch illustration, Jerry Vines used to say, the room looks clean when the light's off. And as you turn on the dimmer switch, uh, the room still looks clean, but as you turn that light up brighter and brighter, you see more and more dust and dirt in the room. And the same way as we become more and more mature, become more like Christ, the more we actually realize how the flesh is so weak and how... Jesus Christ didn't do his earthly ministry on his own. He did it by the Spirit's power. So we badly need the Spirit's power yeah. in, in our parenting. And and then teaching that to our kids, that our kids grow up with the... They don't grow up being like, oh, Dad was so strong. He could do everything. Instead, they grow up with, Dad was always depending on God for his strength, and I'm going to do the same.
2: I hope you're enjoying this interview. We have interrupted it briefly to let you know about a few things coming up in
1: the life of Faith in Kids. We run a day called the Big Day Out. We do it every term, it lasts a day. It is aimed at those who lead the children's ministry in some way in their local church. We know this is a Faith in Parents podcast, so this might not be for you, but it might equally be for you. So if you have any leadership role in the local church, in children's ministry, we would love to see you at the Big Day
0: Out. Great. So I find that there's a lot of parents that that is the case for. Where are they? When are they? How do I book?
1: We hold these in Hull, London, Exeter, Birmingham. Okay. I would love to tell you particularly about 3 of those, which are in Hull on the 4th of March, in London on the 10th of March, and in Exeter on the 12th of March.
0: Okay.
2: I'll be at that one. Th- th-
1: I okay. look forward to yes. it. Well, my wife will be and I'll be looking We after will be my covering children. the same topic at each of those, which is building identity, encouraging resilience and improving mental health.
0: Wow, is a big topic.
1: Why are we doing this Amy?
0: Um, We're doing this because it matters. We're doing this because there are some resources that we're writing to help um, families and churches teach big truths to our children about answering the question, who am I? And this training is part of helping our children's youth workers be on board with that.
1: If all of that sounds baffling, obviously come to the big day out. Go to the events section of faithinkids.org and you'll find all you need to know, including where it is, how much it costs, and how to book. We would love to see you. Brilliant. Back to the interview. Back to Duncan. The point you make about trying to show your kids when you had a trampoline stolen is parenting, and marriage maybe, are the two areas of our life where we don't get to choose what we show. Mm -hmm. They see it all. Yeah. So as parents, we're not just saying we must deliberately think about modelling this. It is (laughs) we have to be prayerfully saying, "Is all of our life modelling this?" Mm -hmm. You know, when I when I'm off guard, am I encouraging my kids to say, "You are dependent on another," Mm. your weakness, your "I can't do this on my own." Mm -hmm. That is a that is a strength.
3: Yeah, yeah. Especially if if I tell quick story. One Sunday, a single mum from a council estate about 60 miles away turned up at our church. Right. And I was like, oh, it's great, great to see you here. I was like, how comes you ended up at our church like 60 miles away? And she said, I'm from an estate, I'm an ethnic minority. And when I turn up at churches with my boy as a single mum, people look at me a certain way and they treat me a certain way. And she said, I've been looking at your church on the internet, and YouTube, and this seems like a place where I'd be comfortable. And that's why I've come here. And then the next Sunday, she came back again, did the whole drive with her boy. And I actually, you know, I encouraged her to try and find somewhere closer because I was like, look, the way we do church life, it ain't really going to work for you being 60 miles away because we can't come and see you in the week. We can't help you and you can't help us because we need your help. And, um... But it was really sad for me and it wasn't the first time I heard a single mum, especially a single mum who's an ethnic minority, say that their experience of church is that when they turn up they get they get judged. Um and so that that really saddens me. And when I when I look at the gospels and I'm thinking like, well, who who did Jesus' heart go out to a lot of the time? It was women who, particularly when other people would be judging those women. It would be the Samaritan woman at the well, or if it's the woman who came and anointed Jesus' feet. And so, uh, but British society has a certain hierarchy and it puts people down low. And sadly, that's come into church. And so I think part of when we're talking about Christian parenting, Part of it has got to be let's um, let us renew our minds about who has value and which parents have value um, because it's skewed at the moment. Thank you very much.
1: Could you say something about um, uh, some some aspects, I guess, of? Um, Life on an estate, which you are and aren't trying to work on as a church leader. So, for instance, something about timekeeping and routine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to stereotype where there isn't one. Yeah. But it, it, some
3: people have observed. That- so so the time one is interesting because what I've seen in Britain is that, um, is that the European concept of time is seen as neutral and anything that deviates from that is seen as unethical. Okay. And it shouldn't be too surprising because when you look at history, you see that there was a conscious effort back in the days of exploration and colonialism and slavery to justify it of centering everything around whiteness and making white seem neutral and making everything else seem... Substandard. ...different, yeah. And so we think that our our European system, particularly middle-class European system of time, where everything's scheduled and routine and everyone's on time for stuff, is the most godly way. But if we take Jesus as the standard, and he's the benchmark, we see a guy who sometimes was late... And intentionally late. Give us an example, Duncan, in case we're thinking that's not the case. So you've got this time, there's people around Jesus, right? And you've got, uh, the uh, well, first there's the one where he's given the message, your friend Lazarus is dying. And so Jesus turns up late, A day's late. Yeah. (laughs) And he's already dead, you know? I mean, a lot of a lot of white church leaders would have been horrified had they been there you know they would have been like this guy is not a godly man at all you know he should have freed up his schedule we should have prioritized this and and got there then there's the time where you've got is it is it Jairus or is it the um the the guy who's got a sick daughter it, is it the yeah it's either the daughter or the <laughs> servant <laughs> and the woman waylays him and touches the exactly. corner and he stops exactly. to understand who has done it Exactly. Right. He he breaks the plan and the schedule of going off to the other thing, and he's. I mean, obviously, we were saying this without looking at a Bible, so might have got it a little bit wrong. But but it's an example with the timekeeping, or you've got God's timekeeping in terms of how, not that He was late, but people were expecting this Messiah to come. God doesn't speak for four hundred years, you know. In in Isaiah's day, you know, they're told unto (laughs) us a child is born.
1: Your timekeeping
3: is now centuries. (laughs) (laughs) So you could be sent. Centuries late for church uh, so no so <laughs> okay w- so what i'm getting at is yes. if if we don't make white european culture the standard but instead say jesus is the standard then we're like hang on a minute okay he's operating on a different basis to us what is that basis and i think the basis is love for god and love for your neighbor which means the way we do timekeeping in london in a multicultural multi-ethnic city has got to be more about loving God and loving neighbor than it is about American GDT systems. That's getting things done for anyone listening who isn't aware of that. And I'm a fan of GTD systems. It suits my personality. I love schedules. I love routine. I don't like people being late. One of the reasons why is because I've got a disability. And when I meet with someone, I pace myself to be able to have enough strength and energy to meet with them. So if someone turns up half an hour late without any prior warning, I've then used up my energy at the wrong stage of the day and now I haven't got as much energy for them. So that frustrates me. So I like it when people are on time. But the principle of love would mean people who know me would know, they would know it's helpful to Duncan if I'm on time because of his health. If I'm not on time, I'll give him a message to let him know I'm running late so he can pace himself. Um, But same way someone might turn up late to church and you might find yourselves thinking, ah, oh, this, is, this, this is really bad. They're not a godly person. Their timekeeping's keep, all wrong. But it might be that on their way to church, they saw someone bleeding in the road who'd just been beaten up. And instead of passing by, like in the parable with the Good Samaritan, the Levite passing by and the priest passing by, instead they said, let me tend... To your needs and so they were late for church but it was because they were loving their neighbor mm. and so i feel like we actually need to interrogate our white european sense of timekeeping especially because i mean you know what it's like as a parent trying to get to church you know and and you know like when you've got children <laughs> in the nappy stage it's just as you're going out that door yeah there's some kind of emergency you need to take care of.
1: And you have to shout the word shoes more than 27 times yes. to get out the house.
3: And coats, and suddenly people, it's like, is it the Michael McIntyre thing? But suddenly people complaining about coats yes. as if it's some like new, it's like, of course you need a coat. Always wear coats when it's cold, you know? Why is it such a shock? Why do we have to debate it for 10 minutes? discussing it? Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and sometimes you do need to say, do you know what? What is most loving to God and to the kids right now, is we actually take a minute and say, guys, let's just pray together, because we're all getting at one another's throats. I know we're going to be late for church, but it's actually better that we love one another. and, And
1: arrive with our hearts in one piece.
3: Yeah, and then we can bless other people at church. So you might see a family turn up late to church and feel like, oh, they're not very good parents, but maybe they've actually been really good parents by modeling grace, loving God, loving one another, and now they're going to love the church. So with the timekeeping thing, I feel like we need to do more work on it. We need to do biblical theologies of the concept of time, follow it through from Genesis to Revelation to see what does the Bible say about time, look at Jesus' life, and then work out how do we apply it in our church life and be careful of making routine and schedule and punctuality a Christian principle. Thank you. And you touched on routine then. Uh, again,
1: I'm not even sure there is a difference in routine. Mm-hmm. Is is there a difference?
3: You know, um, so some people say that counts on council estates, people don't have schedules or diaries. Um, I, I feel like there's an element of truth in that, and there's also not an element of truth in it. That's probably the wrong way to say it, but uh, people turn up at the doctor's when they got a doctor's appointment. They turn up at work when they've got work. They go to birthday parties. where, Like people really do schedule. They really do. And people do have some kind of routine. It's just not always the routine other people would have. Sometimes I found that like on council estates, sometimes you've got a cross-cultural missionary working there. They don't give the local Christians any routine because they think they're not routine people. Whereas I have found that so for example, when I set up a music studio years ago on this estate for the youth, there was a lot of crime going on. I set up a music studio and I made it bookings only. And I was saying to all the teenagers, I was saying, I was saying, you can only come to the studio if you've made your booking. And and they made their bookings. Some of these guys were in gangs and they were making bookings. Some of them were excluded from school. Some of them had literacy problems, but they were making bookings and arriving, and on, arriving time. on time. And when they didn't come, they actually then lost their booking and they couldn't book for another few days and they understood that and they so so i feel like it's a bit of a myth but there is there is some truth to it what, what i've also found though is in terms of parenting um, i've seen middle class families that seem to have no routine whatsoever i've seen working class families that have really strict routines and and vice versa
0: Wowza. that's that's pretty big stuff isn't it i think i think that's amazing i'm quite blown away ed
1: i love the conversation amy just tell us is there something that struck you from that conversation with duncan
0: um i think particularly where he started talking about the positives um i think i'm still i'm still working that through i think i think for me with my kids i It's easy to think I want to protect them, I want to give them a nice life, I want to pull down the shutters and keep them safe and wrapped in cotton wool and actually to then think to expose them to stuff that's tough, to help them live actually faith in action, to um, be part of a wider community and meet others that aren't like you is actually a really good thing to give your kids so when I think I'm giving them something good by withholding something, do you get what I mean? Yeah. So I'm thinking because I'm giving you something really good, I'm not, I'm, I'm holding back what actually is better. You know, letting you meet more diverse people and letting you understand a world outside of your own is ultimately much better for you than keeping you safe and hidden.
2: I know it's my temptation is to raise the drawbridge as he was saying that you know, middle-class people tend to do, they sort of think that they're communal people and live in an open home and all that kind of stuff. And actually, I I feel quite challenged by that. So in a way, I want to kind of be more hospitable and open, but I'm aware that my instinct is A, personal self-reliance, but B, as a family, just like, okay, circle the wagons. And I think there's obviously a time and a place for that, and it's my duty to protect, but at the same time, one can, if that's always the default setting, then I think uh, that's a problem.
1: And what you are both talking about is that perhaps you leave, you hear that freshly, because Duncan is from a slightly different culture to ours, and by talking to him, a godly brother, yeah. it reveals some of our blind spots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So and I helpful. think
0: it's just helpful to then say, let's be brave enough to have this conversation in our own churches in our own kids' work, thinking about our, you know, what we're offering, what is, you know, I'm, I'm already thinking about our own kids' programme. What is that, you know, what is my bias? Am I expecting behaviour, just good behaviour for the sake of good behaviour, or am I just trying to engage people with enjoying things? Um, am I rewarding and valuing as much diversity as I can? Am I... I just, yeah, I just think it's a really good place to start thinking and talking.
2: I think we're done. What a privilege. Yeah, but more from Duncan next time. Yes, second episode. Oh,
0: he's got more. He's got more. (sighs) There's more. What a ledge.
2: Until then, uh, remember the big day out stuff. Go and look at the website. Um, What's our website called? faiththinkkids.org.
1: As always, we would love to hear from you. Podcasts at faiththinkkids.org. Great
2: there we go we got there in the end happy new year happy new year (laughs) I've just seen you you can't say it again bye 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 Bye.
1: hello happy new year that was too loud (laughs) it was a bit